This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash the check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Good evening and welcome back to a special edition of the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am Doug Scott and of course I'm joined by QB11 himself. Andrew, how are you today? My happy Monday. Happy Monday. I'm doing well. How are you doing, Doug? I am doing well also. It's been a busy day, but I'm excited to talk more football and particularly in this episode, we're going to be talking some Big Ten football, looking ahead a year to our future conference that the Ducks and along with the Trojans, Huskies and Bruins will be joining. And we are joined today by Big Ten Ted, who has a, a podcast and a YouTube channel over there, Big Ten Ten on YouTube. Ted, welcome in. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited to be here. I love this show. Um, been learning a lot about Oregon, kind of listening to you guys here uh, the last few weeks or so. Ducks looking good this year. So are you guys ready to play Minnesota? Are you ready to play Iowa? Are you ready to play Illinois and play some maybe some Big Ten West football? So, Ted, let me tell you, because you don't know this about me, but I'm an absolute sicko, and I grew up in a Wisconsin household. So I've been watching rock fights since I was a little wee boy, and uh, I, I can't wait to – I like the, the home environments at some of these Big Ten West schools that a lot of like traditional Pac-12 fans crap on, whether it be Minnesota or Wisconsin, Iowa – um, even Illinois, when they're good, can will actually get some people to show up. Like it's so much better than what the average home environment is out west for like those mid-tier programs, if you want to call them mid-tier. Like not Wisconsin hasn't been mid-tier, and really neither has Iowa. Uh, but relative to the top of the conference, especially this year, I think it's pretty safe to call them that. But yeah, I grew up in Wisconsin as well. So yeah, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of great. Great oh. venues, for a lot of great venues for college football um, around the Midwest. You kind of mentioned, you know, Minnesota has stepped up their game since they got the outdoor stadium. The Metrodome was the Metrodome uh, kind of back in the day. And you mentioned Illinois, who's maybe taken a step back this year. But but they've proven that um, with some orange out and things, they can they can really do some things as well. Um, but, yeah, it's it, there's a lot of great environments in this conference. And we're excited to have uh, the Ducks come to some of those environments. Yeah, the only sleepy environment in the, it, that I can think of right offhand is Northwestern. And yep. It's, it, it can't possibly be worse than Stanford. So or Cal, um, yeah, or Cal. <laughs> well, the or thing about Northwestern, on most days. the thing about Northwestern is, and, and and we saw this this last weekend. That sleepy, um, I, I think some folks in Stanford have called their their home environment the library. Um, it is at North. It can be an advantage, right? You see Penn State this last weekend come out really sleepy. Drew Aller and his receivers just just not in sync, not in the swing of things. And Northwestern. 
It happened this past weekend. Uh, I know Penn State really got it going in the second half, but growing up as a Wisconsin fan, I remember many times when the Badgers go to Evanston at an 11 a.m. game, you have to be ready to play because the crowd is going to be at at most 50% full um, sometimes. And it's an adjustment when there there's not even a little bit of crowd noise. So I think Penn State saw a little bit of that this weekend. But that is something where Northwestern has kind of played it in their favor over the years. It was the Barry Alvarez special to go lose to Northwestern. Yeah. Oh, well, you know. oh, oh, I know it. I know it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and Stanford has had a similar effect on some teams over the years. And in fact, you know, I know Oregon, I think along with Penn State, was practicing this past week uh, with with no music and no noise, right, yep. to get ready for the quiet. And I know some uh, some teams, Oregon teams and other teams around the Pac-12 have I've gotten off to slow starts there as well. Do the, there's just a lot of they'd say you got to bring your own energy to that game, and and it's kind of so it is a different twist to it. But let's yeah, talk a little about, bit. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, you talk about sorry about that, and then you talk about coming off a whiteout as well. So you come off maybe the best environment in the country, and you go to maybe the quietest environment in the country. That was such a 180 flip for further than any lines this past week. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. that's about as stark a contrast as there is in college football. So, Ted, like maybe walk our listeners through just kind of a little bit of an overview of what we've seen through five weeks in some schools, six weeks so far in the Big Ten Conference. Obviously, the, the outside perception, you've got the big three, right? The big three in the East, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Uh, those battles will be coming up later. Um, Metrics-wise, rankings-wise, eyeball test-wise, there's a pretty sizable drop-off from those three to whatever team you want to put in number four, whether that's Wisconsin or Maryland or somebody else, but, you know, maybe just kind of give us an overview of from big 10 country. What is kind of, what is the conference uh, looking like so far this season and what's the kind of inside perception around the league? Well, back in the day uh, when the big 10 actually had 10 members, um, there was a, a common phrase known the big two and the little eight uh, kind of when Michigan and Ohio state um, were kind of at the top of their game. And now you have this big three situation where, They've always been there, really, ever since the mid-2010s. Penn State won a Big Ten title in 2016. They were good in 2017 with guys like Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley, uh, who we all know. Um, but this, is this to me, is really the furthest. All three of them have been in, as a group at the top of this league. There's always been something, you know, going back before COVID, before 2020. Teams like Wisconsin uh, was a top 10 team. Iowa and Michigan State played a Big Ten title game when they were both top five teams um, as well. The winner went on to the college football playoff. That was Michigan State. But this is as far, this is as big as a drop-off, I think, as I've seen, at least in my 20-plus years watching Big Ten football. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Not only are they all Big Ten championship contenders, they're all national championship contenders. They all have got rock-solid defenses. They've all got really good and explosive players on the offensive side of the ball. And that's not surprising to me, kind of coming out of the gate, that Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State have played this good um, as of right now. We know what Michigan and Ohio State have been, Penn State, right? The last few years with Sean Clifford, a lot of people say we're a great to elite quarterback away from really making some noise. You bring in a five-star kid in Drew Aller, and, and look what happens. And now they're, they're looking great, and Penn State is right in the mix. They're, they're as good as, as Michigan and Ohio State right now. These are three excellent excellent football teams and in a year where there's a ton of parity across college football it would not surprise me to see any three of these teams win a national title now when you drop off after that 
it's a pretty steep drop off. You guys mentioned Wisconsin and you mentioned Maryland. And I agree. Those are probably the two best uh, options, the best of the rest. Then when you get after that, it takes a massive, and I mean a massive dip. Um, unfortunately, right now for, for this 14 team, the last of its of its kind, this 14 team, oh, Big Ten. I know Iowa's been the butt of every joke the last uh, year and change, right? Going back to last year. And of course, uh, the first few games this year, it hasn't really gotten any better um, for them. Illinois has taken a big step back. Um, this defense does not look anything like it did uh, last season. Uh, Minnesota, I don't know if people were expecting a lot from the Gophers, but losing on the road the way they did to Northwestern. That kind of set them back um, a little bit. You know, I've tried the last few years to um, really give it the old college try and defend the Big Ten West a little bit. A couple of games in, I'm like, you know what? I'm done. And we we got some good programs coming in next year. We got no divisions. It's very difficult to defend right now that division and specifically kind of the mid-tier um, of the Big Ten right now. Maybe one of them, we got Maryland, Ohio State this Saturday, I think is going to be a pretty solid game, but but the drop-off is big. And it's. And I'm sure we'll talk about this later in the show, how this impacts. You got Oregon coming in, USC coming in, some really good programs that consistently recruit in the top 10 of the country and bring in really good talent, how that's going to affect some teams because those West Division teams have always said, hey, if we can win in some of these rock fights, uh, in the West Division, we can make it and we can play for a Big Ten title and maybe we can pull an upset. Wisconsin came uh, pretty close in 2019. There's been other years where where they've been somewhat competitive, but in the end, the East Division champion um, always seems to come out on top. They're undefeated at the East versus the West since 2014 in Big Ten title games. But, but this year, um, it, it seems like with the parity in college football, if the Big Ten is going to win a national championship, they've got a golden opportunity to do it with Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. Yeah, I, I think I agree with what you're saying. Just for some some con- context coloring here for for our listeners, um, you have Michigan and Ohio State one two in F plus right now. Penn State's at ten, and then it drops all the way to Wisconsin at twenty two, Maryland at twenty eight, and then Iowa is actually the next highest rated team in the Big Ten right now at thirty ninth. Now. There was a lot of head coaching turnover in the Big Ten West, right? Luke Fickle um, and and Matt Rule coming into the into the league in the division, and ultimately, I think that'll bear bear fruits over time. But traditionally, the Big Ten West schools have just not recruited the same profile of athlete as the Big Ten the the big schools in the Big Ten East, um, like when Michigan State was cooking. But primarily, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State are are kind of the top three recruiting brands in the current Big Ten, and so. Uh, I, it will be interesting to see because I also think styles make fights. I think that uh, right now the four teams that are joining the Big Ten, Oregon's the only one that's recruited the fronts on an elite level consistently. Um, USC will get a guy here or there, but I mean I don't know how much USC you've watched this year, but defensively they're Oof. quite horrible. Yeah, they're they're pretty tough to watch. Um, Washington doesn't recruit on the same level as like an Oregon or a USC, and then UCLA. Uh, is almost entirely don't recruit on at the all. transfer portal. Yeah, they don't they don't really recruit at all. <laughs> so that puts a pretty hard cap on how good you could be at the premium positions where the best players at the premium positions almost always are organically recruited and developed from the high school ranks. So uh, it, I'm really interested to see how this all plays out. But I do think that some of the more proud programs in the, the existing Big Ten West, whether it be Wisconsin under Luke Fickle, whether it be Nebraska under Matt Rule, heading in a more competitive direction it's just they inherited um pretty untalented rosters in some sense 
Yeah, I like really like where Wisconsin's at. I think when you compare those two, right, Luke Fickle coming into Wisconsin, uh, Matt Rule coming into Nebraska, and I think you've seen it so far this season, is that sure, Wisconsin, they've had their troubles. Their defense just does not look like a Jim Leonard defense that we're used to seeing the past few years, one of the top defenses in the conference, if not uh, the entire country. But Luke Fickle has a much better situation, um, I I think, in Madison. Uh, And I think the way he's kind of structuring his program and team maybe might translate a little bit better to the future Big Ten. Matt Rule, I still think he's going to be good. Uh, I still think, think – but in terms of being great, in terms of contending with some of those teams that you mentioned, and you're absolutely correct, is now not only do you have three programs that can recruit in the top ten, now you add USC, now you add Oregon. I mean, that's, that's half of the top ten in recruiting in the country, it seems like, um, um, every single year. And just that sheer talent, it's going to be difficult because Wisconsin, Nebraska, you throw in in Iowa – they're going to have to develop like nobody's ever developed before. And these are developmental programs. Look at Wisconsin historically. They don't recruit a lot of great kids. Graham Mertz was their highest recruited quarterback ever, right, at a four-star out of the state of Kansas um, over there. So it's just – and it's going to be increasingly difficult uh, for these teams. But when these two guys got hired, uh, both Luke Fickle and Matt Rule, I really love both of these hires. I think Matt and Luke are both developmental head coaches and they can do some things. It's just, it, it, it was always hard for me to imagine from day one, both of these guys having eight, nine, 10 win success. I could see one of them seeing both of them having that kind of success where they're great at their school. I don't know. And then the add in these West coast schools, it, it, it's going to be very difficult um, for these programs, but Wisconsin, I give a little bit of an edge and you've kind of seen that it's, it's a better situation. Last year, Wisconsin went six and six, and that was like as bad as it gets. Look at Nebraska going three and nine a couple of years ago. That that's a much bigger dip. Uh, I mean, this is it's a rebuilding effort um, right now for Nebraska, just getting out of the basement. And you've seen how tough it is. They've made big improvements on defense, but man, that offense right now it, it is it is very difficult to watch. The Huskers kind of go to work on offense. They just completely lack playmakers, and yep. and I definitely wasn't saying that those jobs were in the same place when they were taken. Um, yeah. And and I frankly I think that if if I was going to put money on one or the other to be successful, I'd put it on Luke Fickle um, because I think the Satterfield hired for Nebraska is going to be something that ends up being kind of an anchor to their offensive success. Uh, and again, they're starting from just a worse position. I mean, Wisconsin, even when they've been bad, has had top 15, top 20 defenses on the on the low end. I mean, right now the 13th and F plus. Uh, they there was a lot of good talent already on the defensive side of the ball. It was more at the at the receiver position um, and, and quarterback where things have gotten a little stale there in Madison. Uh, whereas Nebraska just has to completely rebuild the entire offensive side of the ball. Yeah, go ahead, Ted. Okay, yeah, I, um, but- I, I also think there's. Wisconsin, top to bottom, whether you're talking about the the administration, the athletic direct, athletic department, the the coaching staff, the the fan base, they know their identity. They know who they are. They know where they're where they sit in in the worldview. I'm not sure Nebraska does. I, I think there's still a lot of certainly a lot of fans, and maybe some some people inside the school and the university who have an outdated view of realistic expectations for Nebraska in 2023 versus what they might've been in 1995, let's say. Well, yeah. The, like, the, like Wisconsin has been kind of the ultimate OKG program, them in Iowa over the last decade, two decades. I mean, really as long as Kirk Ferentz has been at Iowa where uh, a big 10 said, I don't know if you guys, uh, if you guys 
are familiar with OKG. It's been, uh, it was the Chris Peterson when he was at Washington, our kind of guys, right? It's like, we're not really recruiting the top end guys. We're recruiting the guys that fit our system and it's a developmental program. Mm -hmm. And Iowa specifically has been unbelievable with this on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and Wisconsin was really, really good at it for a very long time too, whether it was at running back or the offensive line. And then really most recently during that run from Miranda through Leonard on defense, they've done a great job of recruiting, identifying uh, lower rated kids, re recruiting them, and then, and then being really strong in development. And then that showing up in the draft. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I know we're talking about the the Big Ten West and right now, and, and and yeah, that that uh, comparison you made does make sense. There's another program right now that's doing it, and it's Rutgers. Rutgers is a team that's four and one right now. I watched a lot of Greg Schiano interviews um, over the off season, and he's the same kind. It's he's the same kind of cat. He's like, we want kids that fit our program the way. And you look at Rutgers, and you look at historically what Wisconsin and Iowa have looked like. They're pretty similar uh, on how they build their teams with a tough physical mindset, with defense, um, that kind of thing. So that's that's the way going forward. The, we know the Wisconsin's, Iowa's, Rutgers, Illinois, Minnesota's, Nebraska's teams like that. They're, they're not going to recruit in the top ten in the country, like USC, Oregon, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. It's just not going to happen. So they're going to have to rely on developing and really getting guys that really fit their system, whatever system that may be, and then maybe hitting some home runs and transfers, right? That That's another big thing, I think, that uh, really plays into this going forward. How's your NIL collective to kind of bring in some guys that are in the portal? Maybe you're a quarterback away. Maybe you're a, a couple of wide receivers. Maybe you're a running back away. The transfer portal, especially for these programs, if they can recruit good players that fit their base and you build a foundation, and then you add on, hey, maybe that quarterback that can take it to the next level. I know he just got hurt, but uh, Kate McNamara was maybe that guy looking to take a step up for Iowa uh, at the quarterback position. Um, but it, that, that's kind of where these teams are right now going forward. I think that Wisconsin is one, and I think Nebraska could be, um, just because of how well-funded those programs are and, and how massive and rabid the fan bases are that could elevate their recruiting profile in the new big 10, like Wisconsin specifically, because I, I, I follow that program, whether it was Barry Alvarez or, or Brett Bielema all the way through the Paul Chris years, like they've just kind of stuck with this identity that they've had since the nineties yeah. um, where they just, this is what we do. Um, we do it well. And we're not really going to push in, in trying to modernize the, the, the program and the system. Like they, they had like, ex, like, astonishingly small off-field staffs. They didn't have a lot of analysts. They didn't have very large recruiting staffs and budgets. Um, and I think that a lot of that's changing, whether it be because, well, like, what are you going to spend all this new Big Ten money on? Or because mm -hmm. they're hiring more serious uh, coaches from more serious programs where the infrastructure has been in place. Um, and I, I think that those two hires signal to me that those schools at least are looking to uh, um, elevate their, their recruiting profile past where it's been historically. 
Yeah, and I look at that. You'll talk about recruiting right now. I mean, these. Uh, I think Nebraska and Wisconsin started off pretty well. Uh, you know, top 25 classes th- their first year. And th- th- that's kind of where the top 20, top 25 area, especially Nebraska and, and Wisconsin um, right now. When you look at the 2024 class, according to On3, they sit at number 23 and 24 respectively with the Huskers a notch above uh, Wisconsin right now. Like if they can recruit, it seems like in that – top maybe 17 18 to 25 30 something like that if they can have a good amount of four stars like wisconsin's got five nebraska's got seven and you can build off that and you got a nail on those four stars right you can't have them in and maybe transfer a couple of years later or they got off the field stuff happened you need to hit on those highly talented players like uh, wisconsin's got a guy in mabry matoyer who's a quarterback recruit that looks really good um, as well, and he's going to be able to come in after it looks like Tanner Mordecai and some of the other transfers that they've brought in uh, for the future. So the future looks bright at quarterback for Wisconsin. I think Luke Fickle and this staff specifically understands no, they know what it, what it's going to take, I think, to win uh, kind of going forward. I'm very interested to see um, Nebraska, right? They've built, they've made such a huge improvement in year one on defense. You got to think these improvements are, are still going to happen over time. My hope is... Um, that Wisconsin and Nebraska will continue to get much better. And my hope is that the Wisconsin's, the Nebraska's, the Iowa's will form a really strong mid-tier in the Big Ten that that will be able to jump up uh, kind of every now and then and challenge some of these top-tier teams uh, that are going to be at the top of the conference. Yeah, I mean, I think you if you're comparing them to the SEC mid-tier, right, you're talking about yeah. comparing them to the Mississippi States and the – Missouri's in most years. Mississippi and, State's not the mid tier. Yeah, you're be, right. You're right. They're a little like low. if we're if we're yeah. talking about like the mid tier. Ole Miss. Yeah, I was gonna say like the Ole Misses. Right. Well, recently, right. Ole Miss, Florida, um, Tennessee, and, and I think that that's like totally fair because we've seen really good Wisconsin teams. I mean, shoot, like as Oregon fans, we've seen it. Whether it was the uh, Russell Wilson Rose Bowl game, whether it was the 2019 Rose Bowl, like those were good football teams. Um, and like, were they good enough to to beat the best team from the East in the Big Ten Championship and go to a playoff? Not quite, but you can. They've they've built really competent rosters, and they're always really well coached. Um, and and I think that like like where does Washington fit into this? I think that's probably where Washington fits into this as well going forward. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I like that comparison. I like that comparison with Washington kind of kind of fitting in there. That's I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But but having them kind of kind of slide into that uh, that area as well uh, seems seems good. And in a year where the depth in the middle of the conference isn't that great, it, it's good to see. It's good to see maybe some programs like that kind of fill out the middle. Yeah, I love the way that the, the recruiting sites have moved the teams to their new conference for next year because obviously the recruiting classes are for next year. So, uh, you know, looking at the the Big Ten, Ohio State, Penn State, Oregon's three, Michigan four, SC five, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Purdue, Iowa, Minnesota, Rutgers, Maryland, Illinois, Washington comes in and down at 14, Indiana, then UCLA, Michigan State, Northwestern rounded out. Yeah, but I will say that like Washington's like average recruit is definitely a higher quality than like a, a lot of the schools in front of them. That's um, true. Yeah, they they look they slot in more around where Nebraska and Wisconsin is from a recruit yep. average perspective. Yeah, yep, right in that exactly. kind of look, top of the middle. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's switch switch back over to the the big three again, real quick. Big Ted, like what 
or Big Ten Ted. Sorry, Big Ted. Uh, you know, kind of what's your? How would you handicap that race? We've seen now five games. You know, I, Ohio State obviously isn't as offensively explosive explosive as they've been in the past. Michigan um, and Penn State both look really dominant on defense. Like, you know, where do you see that shaking out? Wow. Oh man, that's tough. That is the million dollar question um, right now where, where these teams are all going to to shake out in the end. It's funny at the beginning of the season, I, I was kind of struggling over the same thing. Cause I thought Penn state was really good. They're going to step up to get to that level. I, I predicted them all to all go 11 and one beat each other. And it goes down to the fifth tiebreaker, right? Cause, cause I honestly believe we could see that scenario, but when I'm comparing these teams right now, um, all three of them have one thing in common. They have killer defenses. The, the, their defenses are fantastic uh, right now. And if if the Saints still exist, defense wins championships, th- that might come to fruition um, here this season. But when you look at this on the offensive side of the ball, kind of go one by one. Penn State, okay, you get the upgraded quarterback. You go from Sean Clifford to Drew Aller, and we've seen him really sling it around this year. Their run game just isn't as explosive this year. I don't know if it's because they're putting more emphasis on their pass game and maybe they can do a little bit more things with Drew, but you're not seeing those 50, 60, 70-yard runs that you saw with, with Nick Singleton and Katron Allen um, last season. So uh, maybe that'll come later in the season, or maybe you've kind of got another part of your offense um, involved as well. Um, Ohio State is a very interesting one because out of the – it's crazy. We, we When you think of Ohio State the last um, – <laughs> more, more than the last few years, the last 10, 15 years or whatever, you've got elite quarterbacks, you've got great explosive offenses – But this is an Ohio State team that seems to maybe be leaning. They're a little bit more balanced, maybe getting leaning a little bit more on the run game because of where they are with Kyle McCord right now. Now, Kyle made some really big clutch throws in their big win at Notre Dame a couple of weeks ago. But I still think Kyle is still almost developing, still getting there right he's not at the level of a jj mccarthy he's not at the level um of a drew weller he's not i don't think he's even at a level of someone like a talia tungavailoa um at maryland right and he the thing is he's he's gonna get better because he's got the best wide receiving core in in all of college football um right now um at ohio state maybe washington might argue about that a little bit but we'll, we'll say ohio state um right now with the best receiving core um in the country so they're going to get better that defense um is really good right now when you look at michigan all right they're they're the ultimate they're the ultimate bullies on the block and that's exactly how it is if jj mccarthy is in an offense maybe like you guys at oregon maybe a washington maybe an offense that kind of opens it up a little bit more jj is going to be putting up similar numbers he's going to be he has an nfl arm he's got nfl talent but the way michigan plays is they ground and pound and they just they just bull you over right and sometimes like this past weekend right against nebraska jj didn't throw it 20 times in that game because he didn't need to look at last year you play Ohio State, yeah, they needed to throw the football, and they did. And look what happened when J.J. McCarthy put it into the air. Now, I know there were a couple of interceptions against TCU in the semifinal that they lost, but he was able to throw the ball fairly effectively, and he pushed the ball down the field, and they were able to score with TCU uh, in that game. Michigan has all the tools. They've got one of the best defensive lines um, in all of college football right now. 
it is very difficult to handicap what we've seen um, so far. The beauty about this is they're all going to play each other. Like Michigan might not play a ranked team until their matchup against Penn State, and that's on Veterans Day on November 11th. Like you're, if you don't like blowouts, I, I'm, I'm not sure if watching the Big Three is going to be your thing because Michigan is going to steamroll the rest of their schedule really until they get to that matchup against Penn State. Like Michigan's last three games are very interesting. You got to play Penn State. You got to play Maryland. And then you got to play Ohio State, so so that's that, that's fairly intriguing um, right now. You're gonna, I think, you're gonna see a lot of blowouts. These teams are going to flex their muscle as this season goes on, and then when we get to these big time matchups, oh boy, uh, Fox is gonna love it because these are gonna be big, big noon games uh, between these three teams, and I can't wait to watch it. Uh, they're all pretty even, at least in my book. It's interesting because I think that like the matchups almost kind of lend itself to a round robin because Penn State is unbelievably athletic on defense. I think they've got some of the best edge rushers in the country. Their their linebacker room can run um, as well as anybody. But the one spot that they're not as strong as the interior of the defensive line, um, and, and that's the spot where really Michigan might have the – I mean, probably does have the best mm-hmm. combination of guards in the country. Yep. Um, and, and that's where they're going to be strong. And so I, I don't think I, I don't love that matchup for Penn State against Michigan. But then when we look up look at Penn State against Ohio State, Ohio State had to take a transfer from San Diego State to come start at left tackle um, because they 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 lost two NFL ta- two starting NFL tackles a year ago. The, the quarterback hasn't been as consistent in the run game. And I look at a, at an, a Penn State defense with all kinds of athleticism that I actually think can take advantage of that deficiency at tackle so in the young quarterback. Um, and then like you get to the, to the big game, the one between Michigan and Ohio state. And we've seen Michigan find a way to be explosive enough in the passing game last year, but they haven't really shown that on a consistent basis this year. Is that something that they're able to pull off against what I think is probably a better Ohio state defense than a year ago. Um, and if there's any matchup that is going to be tough for Michigan it's going to be that matchup on the outside at receiver for Ohio State and so I if I was handicapping this I would probably go uh, Michigan one Penn State two Ohio State three currently just based on the fact that I think that Michigan and Penn State have better quarterback play um, and and they're more complete teams overall but Michigan is going to have to earn it I mean these are going to be tough games but if Michigan does come out of it like they might have had a horrible schedule to that point, but that would be two really, really impressive wins, and I think that they would well have earned a one seed in the college football playoff. I, I think yeah, the one thing I think the one thing I'd add to that, which kind of touches on what you were saying earlier, Ted, is because of that schedule weakness and and the fact that the middle of the conference is performing, you know, so poorly, where they're not really providing ranked wins or impressive wins. I don't. I think it's going to be really hard for a a second team to get into the playoffs um, mm. unless it's Ohio state. Cause Ohio state at least has the Notre Dame win, right? Like if it, if, if Ohio state wins the conference, it's really hard to see a path to me anyway, for Michigan or Penn state to get a second playoff spot. Well, I don't see any of these three teams losing to another one, a, a team that's not one of these three teams the rest of the season. Like they're, they're agreed. Just, they're agreed. Sure, I just don't think they'll have enough better than everybody else, but they'll have one quality win as a, as a non-conference champion. I think that's going to be, you're going to need other teams to fall back, I guess is what I'm saying. Basically you would need, you would need an undefeated Michigan and a one loss Ohio state. And you'd need Notre Dame to have a, like finish strong, like beat USC, beat Clemson, have a really strong finish to the season. Um, in order to justify putting in a one-loss Ohio State, if if their losses to Michigan for the third year in a row, yeah, yeah I that's just, a, that's yeah. a good point. Good. 
That's a good point that you raised there. Um, with Ohio State's kind of got one, they've kind of got an ace in the hole. They kind of got one in their back pocket with that win over Notre Dame. If Notre Dame's able to really, you know, put together a 10 or a, who knows, and maybe an 11 win season, that really helps them if they end up losing for the third straight year uh, to Michigan at the end of this. So, kind of based on what you guys were saying, Penn State is in a situation, and they could very well do this. Penn State is in a situation where they need to get over the hump. They need to beat Michigan or Ohio State to really have a, a, any shot um, at this thing going forward. And to be honest with you, it's probably got to be Michigan. Kind of going back to QB's um, analysis of this, yes, the interior of the Penn State defensive line is not as good as kind of other layers. And if you can look at Michigan and Penn State games over the past few years, Michigan has ran it. They've ran it, and they have ran it again down Penn State's throat, right? And I th you got to think the Nittany Lions know this. If Penn State, right, and they get the home game, it's in State College. It's going to be, I believe it's going to be a stripe out. I think they've already announced that um, in, that, in that noon game against Michigan. Uh, they're going to they're gonna have to find a way to play better than they have played against this Michigan run game. Other, other than that, uh, but, and then you could see, you know, another 10-2 and two Penn State team. But, you know, you mentioned the, those rankings before. Uh, yeah, Ohio State's probably the third. Ohio State's probably the third. And, you know, the way you put them in with Michigan and then Penn State and Ohio State, but that's a pretty good third right there. You know, I think a lot of conferences would take that as a number three in their league. Yeah, I mean, and who knows? Maybe Kyle McCord comes along as the season goes yeah. on and the tackle play gets better. But I just think that, like, from a matchup perspective – Penn State, I would favor Penn State on a neutral field with Ohio State right now. Yeah. I just think that I think that they're a it's a good matchup for Penn State. Let's uh, let's go back to a little bit more Big Ten West talk. You know, how do you handicap that race? Is it Wisconsin's to lose? Iowa going to factor in? Is there anybody else outside of those two? Well, you're going to make me talk about the Big Ten West right now, but uh, but you know this is the, this is the world that I've built for myself. Um, it goes through Madison, right? And after the injury to Cade McNamara, you know you could have argued before it was a Wisconsin and an Iowa thing. Iowa maybe they had the edge on defense. Wisconsin had the edge on offense, that kind of thing. Now, if you're riding Deacon Hill, who is a Wisconsin transfer, by the way, if you're riding Deacon Hill the rest of the season and you don't have your All-American tight end and Luke Lachey, who's out with a season end injury it's going to be hard iowa is going to have to win rock fight after rock fight after rock fight wisconsin uh, i believe doesn't have to do that like wisconsin's got a good quarterback even though they lost chesma lucy one of the running backs for the season they've still got a great one in braylon allen back there that defense has got to play better that they've been very they've given up a lot of yards but they forced some turnovers uh, I think that's the kind of bend but don't break you're going to see out of the Badgers in Madison, and they're going to have to do that a lot more. I think throughout the Big Ten West, even though Wisconsin seems to be the favorite right now, it's there's there's it's just like last year. We all thought kind of Illinois was that team where it's like, yep, they're a couple of weeks in a row they looked like the best team, and then and then Illinois uh, they lose to Purdue, and then Illinois they lose to Michigan State, and then all of a sudden, oh, Purdue ends up getting into the situation. This is what it looks like right now, but I just I just have this feeling that the Big Ten West is going to be very up and down. Wisconsin could still very much win the West, and that's what that's what I picked at the beginning of the season for them to go nine and three and win this division. Um, but man, you're just going to see a lot of back and forth. Um, you know, Northwestern, you saw that win against Minnesota. I don't think there is 
bad as they were last season. You know, now you look at teams like uh, Nebraska, you look at a team like in Illinois, and well, they already beat Minnesota, but who says like a team like Northwestern can't beat a Nebraska if they can't do anything on offense? Who says that, you know, Illinois is really taking a sharp uh, decline uh, here this season? This thing is still pretty open right now. Uh, for some teams to get some big wins, maybe not win the West because I still think Wisconsin's in the driver's seat. Uh, right now, they got the most talent. I said that at the beginning of the year, they've got the most offensive talent uh, um, in the Big Ten West uh, this season. I still believe that nothing's changed uh, in terms of that. But in terms of the rest of the division, you're going to see a lot of, well, Northwestern might beat Purdue, but then Purdue beats Nebraska and Nebraska beats Northwestern. You're going to see a lot of um, circle of sicko type of stuff that, uh, within this division. Yeah, one thing I remember I, last season coming I mean, down the stretch with a week or two to go. Sorry, I keep you just a second. There was a there was a scenario in play where there could have been a six way tie in the West Division. Yeah. Didn't come out that way, but it was it, it was possible there with like two games to go, which is pretty hilarious in and of itself. Go ahead, QB. Well, like being the most talented team offensively in the SEC West is like being the fastest turtle, right? Like, like yeah, you're the fastest, but you're Big still Ten a turtle. West. And yeah, sorry, the Big Ten West, like it's there. Like none of these teams are talented at all offensively, and like. I am actually like a, a pretty like loud critic of Phil Longo. I don't actually think he's that great of an offensive coordinator, but they're the only team in the Big Ten West that like can even try to throw the football. Like Minnesota can't. Iowa certainly can't. I mean, Brian Ferentz is going to have to really pull a rabbit out of his hat to get a twenty get to twenty five points a game. I mean, really, what's going to have to happen is that defense and the special teams is going to continue to have to produce points to 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 get it done. Um, I I just. I don't see a, a world where Wisconsin doesn't win the West by multiple games this year because who, even if Wisconsin defensively is not as good as maybe they've been in years past, neither is Minnesota. Um, right. Iowa is not going to score a touchdown offensively probably ever again. <laughs> it seems that way. <laughs> it seems that way. <laughs> uh, you, you're right on a lot of points uh, there. The thing about Iowa that I will say, and we know all about their offense and they deserve – a hundred percent of the criticism that that it, that comes their way, they win games in weird ways. I said oh, yeah. this; they were in a, that Michigan State game. Um, you know, there there were some USC people on Twitter that were saying, oh, "I can't watch this, blind my eyes," kind of the things. And then I kind of responded to them, "You love it. This is going to be you in a year, or so so absorb it, right?" But uh, uh, when when I look at this thing, Iowa wins games with defense and with special teams. All Iowa has to do is be around, and you saw it this last weekend, they wait for their opponent to make a mistake. And that's what Michigan State did, made mistake after mistake. They shanked a punt. Iowa got the ball starting at the 40-something yard line. Um, and then turnovers and all these other things. And that's what happened with Michigan State. Iowa is so disciplined sometimes down the stretch. They just sit there and they look you straight in the eye and says, you're going to make a mistake. It's just a matter of when, and we're going to take advantage of it. We're going to return a punt and return 70 yards for a touchdown. We're going to do something like a pick six or a scoop and score. That's how Iowa – I said this on my on my week five recap on the channel. Yes, their offense looks bad. Now you don't have your quarterback. Cade's probably out for the remainder of the season, but you are going to get some running backs back. It does not look good for Iowa, but this is still a four and one football team right now. And if you look at the remainder of your schedule, <coughs> you look around and you see, 
Well, mate, the worst I see Iowa right now is is eight and four. So they're going to be in the race for the Big Ten West, believe it or not. I, even someone like me from coming from from my angle, I still think that sounds crazy. Um, they're going to be in it. I don't know if they're going to win it, but their defense and their special teams will always give them a chance. And uh, it was funny, QB, what you said about um, about offense. Yeah, it would be very curious. You throw Wisconsin in the Pac-12, and that's what the eighth, seventh, eighth at, at best, maybe best offense in that con- in that conference right now. Like, yeah, it's a. It, it's it's the last year, right? This can all happen, and this is kind of how the Big Ten West has been living for a while. Is you've had a lot of average, sometimes maybe sometimes above average offenses, and they do just enough, and they play good enough their way to get to, to win the division, right? Within these teams, right? That's the six out of the nine conference games are against each other. Right. For these big 10 West teams. Now you're going to be playing a lot better teams more often. I still, I think you're going to see the distance maybe between the West and some of these elite teams. Yeah. And again, like they're the, they have the best defense of, of all the teams in the big 10 West. And I, it's not like there's elite offenses anywhere in that division. So yeah. having the best defense and playing in a division where everybody wants to get into a hideous rock fight is going to give you opportunities <laughs> to win close games in weird ways, which Iowa is, the best of anybody at doing right. Um, I just don't think that they're going to be able to do that against Wisconsin, which is why I think Wisconsin is a team that very clearly can win the league or not the league, but the division. Um, Cause their, their offense is 36, which as you're like, you're hundred percent right. would be like the eighth or ninth rated offense in the PAC 12 right now, but it's the best offense in the big 10 West by 30 spots. And Iowa is down at 121st in offense. So, um, but they have the best. They have the best defense, according to F plus. So it's, it's just one of those things where um, I think Iowa absolutely will probably finish second in the division. I just think that their inability to score with consistency is going to cause them to lose one of these rock fights, even though they're yes. going to win most of them. I think that's all <clears throat> the Big Ten West talk that I can handle <laughs> for today. Yep, that's it. Me too. Even me. <laughs> <laughs> you, guys are, um, you guys are. That's so disappointing. I could talk Big Ten West all night. Uh, yeah, I might. I, I think I was falling asleep. No, in all seriousness, uh, QB, any, any, I, th- I kind of wanted to switch over and talk a little bit with, with Ted about the, the Pac 12 stuff, Pac 4 stuff, but anything more you want to touch on Big Ten wise before we do that? Either of you? Uh, no, I mean, I just, uh, the Talia Tagovailoa experience is very much like the Jaden Delore experience. It's, it's not quite as extreme at Arizona, uh, for Arizona, that's Arizona's quarterback, uh, where, He'll, he's either going to go off and have a fantastic game or he's going to go throw three or four picks and fumble the ball once. And uh, it's it's just a very inconsistent experience. So if he's on, I think that Maryland is good enough to catch a team sleeping. But I still think that they there's just too much of a talent gap between the top three and Maryland as, as the fourth best team in the East. But I think Maryland could very would win the West. Yeah, consistency has been uh, has been tough, right? You had a you've you've had really good games, and then you had I think they played Iowa a couple of years, and he threw something like four or five interceptions in the first um, half. And, yeah, in that game, that was not pretty. Where they got beat fifty something to ten or whatever ended up being whatever the score was uh, at the end of that game. It, you know, he's going to get an opportunity against Ohio State this weekend. He threw for what two ninety three and two scores last year against the Buckeyes. That was one of his better games, maybe at Maryland, where they went toe to toe with Ohio State. Um, in College Park. It's consistency. Let's hope that we can see that, right? Because remember, this was a Maryland team that got, they were down 14 to nothing against Charlotte. 
and then against Virginia, and Virginia's 0-5 right now in back-to-back weeks. You know, they did play much better the rest of the way, and they've gotten off to fast starts the last few weeks against Michigan State um, and against Indiana, who's kind of at the bottom of the barrel um, in the Big Ten right now. But a lot of that also has to do with Maryland's defense. They're forcing uh, some of the most turnovers uh, in the country. I think some of their tops, uh, top three, four, something like that, in takeaways in all of college football right now. So – You've got that. The offense protects the ball. You get Talia short fields. I think that's been the method of success so far this season uh, for Maryland. But Terps could very well be eight and four. They could very well be nine and three at the end of this season. At the end of this thing, and considering what the type of program Maryland was um, in the ACC, and then taking that step up in the Big Ten, that that's a big accomplishment. I think Mike Loxley is one of the more underrated coaches right now in this in the country, maybe. The last thing we'll, I'll say on this before we transition the conversation is that um, I, I always am concerned when I see teams that have like these completely disproportionate and unsustainable turnover numbers mm. because water always finds level, right? Like yep. how many of those turnovers are actually forced versus how many of them are circumstantial or just like bad luck on, on behalf of the of the offenses they're playing? Well, in some cases, I mean, Virginia is like one of the most – like they, they might be worse than Iowa offensively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I just I have concerns about their ability to sustain that kind of success when they start playing the best teams in this in the uh, Big Ten East. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting uh, to see what happens when they match up. That's why I'm so curious about this weekend's matchup um, against Ohio State at noon in Columbus to see. Okay, yeah, can can they sustain? Because you look at Ohio State; they've only committed three turnovers uh, right this whole season. They protect the football, and, and I said it in my preview that, that that's going to be coming out um, on Tuesday. It's, it's hey, Ohio State, Ryan Day, Brian Hartline, that coaching staff. All you got to do, you got to talk to your kids, protect the football. You protect the football, you've got superior talent. You're going to win by a couple of scores if you don't turn the football over and give Maryland some opportunities. All right. <clears throat> I want to switch the conversation a little bit over here to talk about the Pac-4, Pac-12, Pac-4 teams that are coming over to the Big Ten next year. With your viewership and your listeners and the people you interact with online and off are, are you sensing that there's any any additional like are, are they following the pac-12 or at least those four teams any more this year than in the past is it about the same is is there any increased level of interest at all or, or not really this is this is kind of the segment of talking point i was really looking forward to discussing with you guys so i'm excited to talk about this right now um I, I don't know during the season if they're they're going out of their way to watch Trojan games, Bruin games, Husky games, Duck games. I, I don't think that's happening right now. I haven't seen a lot of comments or a lot. Of, you'll see one every now and then. You'll see, hey, did you see Oregon? Yeah, I saw Oregon. Uh, you know, did you see did you see USC and their bad defense? Yeah, might not translate great. You know, uh, you get stuff every now and then um, from from people, but a lot of them are kind of focused on the last year of this current alignment. Um, right now. So, so in terms of them kind of going, I try to go out of my way uh, to, to kind of watch some of these games. I'm excited about this Ducks Huskies game. That's going to be coming up uh, here as well. Um, I've caught a couple of USC games uh, myself. Uh, I, I, week zero, right? Because we didn't have a Big Ten game in week zero, so I decided to to flip on um, USC San Jose State uh, in, in that one. Uh, so I kind of watched the Trojans kind of early on there. I, I caught some of the Colorado game, the back half of it, uh, which was very uh, leaning uh, towards the bus there, there towards the end. 
I, I you know, th- I, I'll say this about that game. Um, Colorado didn't lose. They just ran out of time. We hear that a lot during the NCAA basketball tournament, right? Some of those close games. It just, man, if, if there was five, maybe 10 more minutes on the clock, I don't know if the Trojans would have came out of Boulder uh, with the with the victory over there. So, you know, you, I, I try out of the corner of my eye to kind of keep an eye on, but in terms of the audience that at least I have, they're, 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 they're still pretty focused on the 14 right now. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I think that our audience largely hasn't been paying very much attention to the Big Ten. I mean, obviously, once these marquee matchups start happening at the end of the season, everyone's going to be watching them all around the country between the, the Big Three. Uh, but currently, I think a lot of people are just kind of enjoying this final ride in the way that things that have been historically. Well, so Ted, like, what are your <clears throat> what are your thoughts from what you've seen so far, particularly out of the you know Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA? combination boy boy can you guys sling it i'll tell you that much holy cow um you know when, when you when you grow up in the state of wisconsin and we talked about the big 10 west sorry doug uh when we talk about the big 10 west and you watch that style of football for that long and then you turn around and you turn your head and it's like okay usc's come, at first okay usc and ucla okay okay maybe we can handle two of them okay we can handle two of these explosive offenses uh, but now you got oregon coming in now you got Washington, right, and what they're doing, even though they, they didn't play outstanding against Arizona uh, this last weekend. It's it's going to be interesting to see this all mesh together, right? Because now with the two extra ones, and you, you might argue um, that those, at least at this moment in time, are the best two of the four currently this season – it's going to be it's going to be an adjustment. I've always said with these four coming in and then with the current 14, I feel like these teams are going to not maybe not everyone, but maybe in a general sense, these teams are going to have to meet in the middle because so USC, let, let's kind of start with them as an example, right? We know they're high flying and they're great on offense and they've got a great future guys like Zachariah Branch and and we, we know what they got um, here coming up. But then you look at their defense, right? And and I feel like those teams like that out west um, gonna need to get beefier, gonna need to be play better on defense. You guys in Oregon are, are day one fitting in just fine right off the bat. You talked about um, you know how this team is uh, in the trenches, and you talk about defense. Oregon's it's, uh, got a pretty good defense um, as well. And then teams in the traditional in the fourteen team Big Ten, they're going to need to get better on offense, right? We, we know where they're at on defense. We know this, they've, they've got some pretty good defenses across this conference, but you can't trot out Iowa. You can't trot out Illinois. You can't trot out some of these offenses against uh, a USC, even as bad as USC's defense is, you can't trot that out against USC and expect to contend. I, I just feel like these four over here and these 14 over here, it's, it seems to me like they're going to mesh in the middle some way I don't know if that's going to be more of the pack style of it, maybe a more offensive style, right? Or if it's going to be more physicality, defense, interior style. I don't know which way exactly that's going to lean, but it seems like it's going to land somewhere in the middle. The the thing that's going to be most interesting to me is that like Oregon, like if you look at F plus ratings right now, Washington's Washington is the number one offense, USC is number mm-hmm. two, and yep. Oregon's the number three offense in the country. Yep. Um, but all three of those teams are going to be replacing quarterbacks mm-hmm. next year. Uh, and so I, I think that there should be a pretty reasonable ex- expectation, depending on what happens in the transfer portal, that those three offenses will be taking step back steps back yep. um, in 2024. 
so what like what where is the equilibrium right and i think that's what you're getting at is is when when these teams come in like i i ultimately think that a lot of teams in the big 10 are going to have to get faster sideline yeah. to sideline but there's also some teams that are coming to the big 10 right now from the pac 12 that are going to get need to get substantially bigger and stronger up yeah. the middle of, of both sides of the ball so um it, it's going to be fun to watch there's going to be some styles make fights situations where we have um, some kind of strange looking shootouts where one team's throwing the ball over the other team and the other team's running the ball over, over um, the Pac-12 team. So uh, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I'm really excited about about what's uh, what's to come uh, right now and the next. And uh, you, you know, and I know, and I'm very intrigued about that. And I talked a little bit about this, and I'm learning more about these West Coast programs. But you mentioned the three, right? Bo Nix not going to be there. Michael Penix not going to be there. Caleb Williams not going to be there. Even though USC has a, I think they had a five star guy in Malachi Nelson uh, that that's coming into their program. I know you guys have had Ty Thompson. I think Doug, we talked about this in August, and maybe maybe Ty's not quite ready to be into that mold and in that role quite yet in Oregon. Maybe you can touch on that in a little bit, but you got a guy in Dante Moore, right? Coming oh, right out of the big 10. You had to go um, there, didn't you? You had to go there. You're going to make QB cry. Wrap it up. You're going to make QB cry. Continue. I know. I know. So you got a guy in Dante over there at UCLA. You know, I know they kind of had a tough go against Utah um, a little bit, but, what happens if he develops and then maybe Chip? We know Chip's been really good in the transfer portal, not so much in recruiting, but in the transfer portal, he's been really good. They've built, a, it seems like, a pretty good defense uh, so far there with the Bruins right now. What I'm very curious to see what's going to happen with UCLA. Where are they going to slot in? Because when this thing happened, okay, USC, yeah, they're going to be up there. They recruit really well. Oregon, yeah, they're going to be up there. They recruit really well. Yeah, Washington, maybe they don't, don't recruit as well, but this is a team that's won 10 games. They, they, they've been to a playoff. Yeah, they're, 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 they're not going to be bad. They're going to be up there. UCLA seems like a wild card to me, and I'd love to hear your guys' take um, on this as well with, with UCLA. I, I mean, I, I could see them being a, a six-win team. I could see them being a nine-win team. UCLA has a a self-imposed ceiling and it's because Chip will only recruit like one guy every other year. Right. And so because of that, like, yeah, Dante Moore is fantastic, but if there's any position that you can't really recruit consistently in the transfer portal, it's the offensive line. And, and Dante Moore is playing behind a pretty porous offensive line Mm -hmm. relative to good competition. Like UCLA, as we saw against Utah, just couldn't block Utah and Utah is a good front. But relative to Big Ten standards, I'd probably put them in like the upper middle half of sure. the league. Um, and that's another thing that like some of these schools, UCLA specifically, is going to be the one that has the rudest awakening. Like the quality, the average quality of front on both sides is substantially higher in yeah. the Big Ten than it is in the Pac-12. And so I just they don't recruit, they don't recruit at a high enough level. And like they they get, they will get solid pieces, and Chip will absolutely maximize the chess pieces he has to work with offensively. But they're just going to run into some situations, I think, in the Big Ten where they just get completely tossed around on the interior of both lines. Yeah, UCLA, where where do you guys think Chip Kelly? Because I know he's won eight games, he's won nine games, you know, he's won the last few years, won some games. Do you think if Chip, is he going to have a little bit of a, is the, is the leash going to shorten if he doesn't do as well right away? And maybe UCLA knows, hey, we're in a new conference. We got all this money coming in, right? Full share members, which 
Um, this is, I know you guys in Washington are coming in at a partial. It, it's, it is unprecedented what USC and UCLA are coming in at, at that full share. It just shows um, how valuable the Big Ten uh, thinks Los Angeles and, and those programs are. Well, maybe more well, USC on the football side. Yeah. But, uh, um, uh, but, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just very curious to see if, if Chip Kelly doesn't do well right away, what's going to be the reaction from from the athletic administration at UCLA? Are they going to think, hey, we got all this money, we got to go out and, and now we're in the Big Ten, we got to go out and we got to get a great head coach? Or are they going to say, yeah, well, we've got increased competition, Chip's still our guy. You know, I'm just very curious to see what the UCLA expectations I, I, are going forward. I just don't – I mean, they have a 30-year history of basically being fine with making a bowl game. Yeah. They don't really care. <laughs> yeah. Like they they came along for this ride with USC, but yep. this is not a move that was in any way, shape, or form like pushed by UCLA. Um, and they're, they're going to use the money not... to short their budget, not to spend more. That's true. <laughs> yeah, and, and then they got to do calimony, and so I mean, I I think ultimately Chip's going to have a couple years. I think as long as okay. he's winning, winning somewhat consistently. Like this year, I think UCLA is probably a nine or a ten win team, which I think is is an improvement over last year. And if things bounce right, they could be a ten win team or possibly even an eleven win team. Like it's they not crazy to think because they don't play, Oregon, they don't play Washington. Oregon or Washington. So they play like they if they if they can pull off the win against uh, Oregon State, then there's really no reason they shouldn't be a ton, ten win football team this year. And I think that's more than likely going to result in a Chip Kelly extension than a Chip, Chip Kelly firing. Yeah, and you take that momentum that you build from that season. Like you said, you go nine wins, you go ten wins. Now you build on that. Hey, we got a young quarterback that's got a full season under his belt. Now you're going into the Big Ten. Maybe, maybe you can maybe you can do something in recruit. Maybe you can do something in the transfer portal and have another really good class. Maybe they can use that as as momentum going forward um, with Dante at quarterback. Who, who knows? I mean, it's it's a different coach could use that as momentum, uh, but not Chip Kelly. The thing is, like that Chip <laughs> Kelly just does not recruit at all. Like it's like. And, and if you're on his staff and you recruit, you're almost like blackballed for doing so. It's it's the, like again, we, we know a lot about Chip Kelly because Chip Kelly was yeah. at Oregon for all those years. Like Chip Kelly could have won multiple national titles had he put any effort in on the on the trail. Like they just kind of showed up at kids' doorsteps, like, "Hey, you want to come to Oregon?" And like enough of them said yes that we had a really good football team. Yeah. But the number of kids that like would have come to Oregon at that time had Chip Kelly actually applied himself on the trail is crazy. Um, and like, it's one of the largest missed opportunities in my opinion, in like modern college football history from like how strong the brand was, but how little it was actually taken advantage of by the coach. We thought it was being taken advantage of at the time, but when we look at like what the Oregon recruiting ceiling is now versus what we were doing under chip, like we were recruiting in the mid teens to low twenties under chip. Yeah. What's crazy Um, is like landing now is actually still benefiting from some of the you know, the swag and the cool factor that that mm-hmm. kind of started in the chip era. I mean, you see this all the time. Oh, you know, Oregon, they're flashy. They play fast. They, you know, they play exciting brand of football. And and it's, a lot, you know, a lot of them harken back. You know, they grew up, right? They were 8, 10, 11 years old when, when that was all going on. So it makes sense. Well, I guess a little, little younger now. But point being, like, it's he didn't utilize it at all at the time. And it's still, it's still... That factor is still there. It's diminished, but it's still there. And obviously, you get recruiters like Lanning and everybody has, and you're selling the program in a bunch of different ways as well. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't see Chip being able to capitalize on the momentum because it's just not what Chip does. 
Oh, that's interesting. Coming kind of coming from an outsider's perspective, you know, you kind of hear about Chip and the great offensive mind uh, and all the success that he, he's kind of had uh, throughout his career, and uh, yeah, you know, landing a guy like Dante and all that stuff. So maybe what was it, an eight nine win season? They 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 had you know with with Charbonnet and and DTR last year and everything. So it's very interesting to hear you guys' perspective. You know, so like I said, you know, I'm kind of stuck in Big Ten country a little bit, focusing a lot on that. I didn't. I was kind of unaware about the, the lack of recruiting throughout his entire tenure and throughout his entire career. Yeah. If he can't keep that up, if he can't recruit, you're going to be stuck with the, uh, with some of those big 10 West programs, maybe in the middle of uh, the middle of this league. Yeah. And, uh, and Dante is a really talented player. Yeah. And I think that he's going to be a really good quarterback. And I'm by no means saying chip isn't a great coach because from an offensive standpoint, I still think he's probably mm-hmm. one of the two or three best in all of the sport. Right. And so it's just a, an issue that they're going to run into again. Like I think that the average talent and the average quality of team in the big 10 in most years is just a lot higher than what UCLA is used to from a resistance standpoint yep. in the, in the pac 12. I mean, you figure for the fact that they're going to play USC every year, they're going to play probably one of Oregon, Washington every year. They're also going to be playing by two of Wisconsin, Ohio state, Penn state and Michigan every year. Like that's probably four losses right off the bat so um i i just i don't have a lot of faith in the talent acquisition in in uh in westwood right now and i think that it ultimately is going to be the thing that probably sinks chip kelly when the time comes and it's right there it's right everything seems to be at least from my perspective you got the quarterback um you got the 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 mind right between the years with, with chip kelly it seems like everything should really fall into place but from what you guys are saying uh, it might not end up that way it's like surrounding talent around him right you just got to build around dante very interested to see if that happens yeah doug you have anything else no uh no i mean unless we wanted to touch on you know the other three schools that we talked a lot about chip coming in and ucla coming in obviously you know, Ted, you and I talked before the season on your show about kind of where I saw, but we talked a lot about Oregon, obviously, and where I saw them fitting in in the, in the Big Ten pecking order and um, haven't really changed my stance much on that. I'd, I'd be curious if, you know, if you have. Yeah, you know, so here's here's ahead. my thoughts on this. Um, and this is kind of the point I wanted to make. Uh, I mentioned Oregon. I mentioned USC. Top 10 perennial recruiters. I love Dan Lanning, by the way. That, that's a Big Ten head coach. I, I love the intensity. I, I, love, I love everything about Dan Lanning. I think he's going to come in. I think he's going to have a lot of uh, success uh, right off the bat. Um, here's the thing about some of these other teams. We've talked about some of these Big Ten West teams. Is They've been so used to playing each other. And, you know, obviously the winner of that division makes it to Indianapolis. Are they on the same level? Should they be in the Big Ten championship game most years? Eh, Maybe not. But now with Oregon and USC coming in, even if you stop there, that's five teams that are real, real good. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Oregon, and USC. And you match up against two or three of them right off the gate. Then you throw in a Washington, you know, that might be a top 20, top 25 program, a perennial, something like that. Like right off the bat, and we just talked about UCLA, who, who knows where they'll, they'll end up. If um, You look at a Wisconsin, a Nebraska, an Iowa, you look at these teams, they're going to have to adjust expectations. It's not, hey, we're battling against each other and we want to make it to Indy. Now, all of a sudden, it's going to be, 
can we get to eight wins, right? I think expectations are really going to adjust. And I know we've got an expanded college football playoff with 12 teams in 2026. We might go to 16 teams when that TV deal kind of, kind of gets renegotiated uh, with multiple partners, but it's just, you got to be a top 10 team, you know, to get into a a, a 12 team college football playoff. I think it's just, it's going to be very difficult now for these West division teams to really define success. Success was, hey, let's make it to Indy, let's win the Big Ten West, and let's see what happens um, against Ohio State or against Michigan. Now it's, well, now we don't have that bar. We don't have that barometer. And now we're going to have to play USC. Now we're going to have to play Oregon. Now we're going to have to play Washington, right? You're you're probably splitting. You have those six teams. You're probably going to play three of them every year. And for most teams, right off the bat, that might be three losses, right? In a nine or who knows, maybe a 10 game conference schedule. And you're really, you're really battling. You're, it's an uphill battle. Um, so I think that's the main takeaway that I want to take with, with these good teams out West coming in is these other teams that are in the mid tier that are maybe used to battling for a division title and using to have that barometer of success. They're not going to have that barometer anymore. Um, with 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 all these good teams, uh, these elite uh, recruiting uh, programs kind of coming into the conference. So that that's a big adjustment that they're going to have to make, whether they adjust and recruit better and bring in better talent on offense or, or whatever it is, or if they just adjust their expectations. Hey, maybe now eight and four or seven and five isn't as bad uh, as it used to be. That's just one thing that I'm extremely curious uh, coming in. This conference is going to get a lot deeper. It's going to get a lot better. Um, If, if these teams out West coming in can kind of, we we've talked about how, yeah, they're going to be down quarterbacks. They're going to be down some of these talented players. Um, But, but going forward, these teams are going to be there. And this is going to be an extremely deep league. The SEC for the first time in a long time, just does not look as elite as we're used to seeing them. So is this a change into the guard? Like, like we said, we'll see. We'll there's see. a lot of, there's a lot of things, you know, with, with this is, this seems like to me, it seems like a down year for the sec. And it seems like the highest of years in the final year for the pac 12. I would be curious. <laughs> what it really is, is just follow the talent at quarterback. Whoever's yeah. got the good quarterbacks is going to be really, really good. And that right now is the pac 12 teams. Um, but like, there's no Bryce Young anymore in the SEC. Yeah. Um, Hendon Hooker, like Joe Milton, hasn't lived up to that expectation. Uh, Jaden Daniels is playing pretty good football at LSU, but if he's the best quarterback in your conference, your conference doesn't have very many good quarterbacks. Yep. Um, and and like, I think we're seeing that with Ohio State. Like, they're probably the most mortal that they've been mm-hmm. in the Ryan Day era due to the fact that they don't have um, super elite quarterback play yet. And I'm not saying that Kyle McCord doesn't have a ton of talent, but it's not there yet. And so. Uh, in the Big Ten West quarterback play, like if Tanner Mordecai is the best quarterback in the division, <laughs> the division is definitely not good at the quarterback position. He had to go back to the Big Ten West, QB. Come on. Well, I know, I'm just it? using it as an example, right? Like, know, like you look, you look at the Big Twelve right now, like Quinn Ewers and and um, oh, what's the kid, the transfer from UCF who starts at Oklahoma? Gabriel Dylan. Yeah, yeah Dylan, Dylan Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah. I mean, Dylan Gabriel might not even be the best quarterback on that team, but that's for another day. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, those are probably the two best quarterbacks in that league. And so, Travis, yeah. uh, Jordan Travis. Another conversation State, for another day is how bad the Big 12 is outside of those two teams. Oh, and how bad that league is going to be going forward. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, I it's uh, 
I, it's really going to come down to like with the teams that are joining from the Pac-12. Like, is Malachi Nelson the answer for for mm -hmm. USC? Possibly. I still think they'll probably go portal. Um, I, I'm very confident Oregon's going to go portal. I, I've liked the improvement from Ty Thompson, but I, I still don't think that with how talented the rest of the roster is, they're going to be content just trusting that to, to work. Um, and Washington, they've got a good young quarterback, but again, are they going to trust that to work with, with how much they're turning over in other parts of the team? Um, and there's not, like outside of Drew Alar, J.J. McCarthy won't be back. Talia won't be back. There's going to be a lot of quarterback turnover. Yeah. Um, in in the Big Ten next year. Yeah, yeah you got to watch for Michigan as well. That that that's the team. That's something you, when we talk about turnover. That's something to really keep an eye on. Corum's going to be gone. Edwards will probably be gone. McCarthy's going to be gone. I mean, and we know Jim Harbaugh has flirted with the <laughs> NFL. I said Every it in year. the in the beginning of this season. This it, it just I'm not I, no insider information whatsoever, but just looking at it a little bit and breaking it down, it seems like a last dance situation. Where it seems Blake like Corum, the year. Blake Corum came back right when he, even though he had an injury, he could have maybe went to the NFL uh, and, and maybe been, been drafted and done some things. And a lot of people came back for one last dance to try to get it done, and that that's just what it looked like to me. It still seems that that way um, right now. It just the, these last few years, it just seems like Jim Harbaugh is just he wants to finish his career. He wants one last shot at the NFL. It seems like he wants to complete his career uh, by, by by winning a Super Bowl. Right? He almost was able to do it with the San Francisco 49ers. It just it, it, that's my feeling right now with Michigan. And then where do they go from there? You know, with, with a new head coach, I think they're going to take a drop in 2024. Penn State, I've been saying. They're, they're, the Nittany Lions are the team of 2024. They might be the team of 2023 first, but, you know, Allen, Singleton, Aller, Abdul Carter at linebacker, they're all going to be there in 2024 as well. They've recruited really well. Uh, James Franklin has. Uh, if they get over the hump this year, maybe 2024 is that year. But if Penn State's up there and Ohio State, they lose Marvin Harrison Jr. And, and then maybe they lose a couple of guys. Maybe there's opportunities for one of these West coast teams to kind of sneak in and, and grab, like you said, grab a portal quarterback and, and get better and fill some holes and, and slide into that big 10 championship game. I, I need, yeah, I it, need that. I need that 2024 uh, big 10 schedule drop. Like, like while we're on this, no. week. I, I need that to yeah. happen. I mean, not the dates obviously, but the matchups at least we need to, we need to have that. Yeah. I'm really like next year. Like this is getting way ahead of ourselves. There's still a lot of football to play this year. And I 100% agree with you. I think that this is kind of the last ride with, with Harbaugh. I mean, this is the most. I mean, he. I mean, he was not shy about saying it all off season. This is the most talented Michigan team he's had. Um, and just like you said, with the guys coming back, just how much. I mean, like they they think internally that they're going to have like 20 guys drafted this year. Yeah, um, it's, it's going to be great. Wow. And Michigan doesn't recruit at an Ohio State level. They recruit well. But not not at a level where you're replacing 20 NFL players. If that if that really is the number that ends up getting drafted, um, so it's going to be, oh man, it, like who would they target in that coaching search? What does that look like? Is a whole another thing. Um, 
I think that they might just promote from within with the offensive coordinator. Is that kind of the vibe that you're getting? It seems that way. Sharon Moore has kind of been talked about as well. Michigan's got this Michigan man complex that we we've kind of heard over the years. I know Rich Rod was obviously a, a dip outside of that and look how that went, you, you know? So uh, I, that that's something I've had in the back of my mind. Um, you know, if Sharon Moore and this offense really does well this year, Maybe they try to keep things in-house, right? Look look what Notre Dame did with Marcus Freeman, kind of promoting him from D.C. Uh, to head coach to try to keep things as, as much the same as you can. Instead of you bringing a new coach, it's, it's a complete turnover. You're losing a lot of guys. You might take a little bit more of a dip than you anticipate. Uh, that's something I got my eye on. I know Michigan State's going to be looking at a head coach um, of their own as well. They got to try to go out. Uh, and find somebody but but right now uh, yeah the Wolverines that they have they are built to win a national championship and they know that's the goal right going to the playoff two straight years losing to Georgia should should have had an all Big Ten title game last year but the, save that one for another day as well um, so 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 we'll see but yeah Michigan Sharon Moore seems to be the leader in the clubhouse so to speak right now I'd really have to do some deep dive as to who maybe some other guys that could come in but they seem like a pro Program where they kind of want to keep things in-house if Jim decides to go to the NFL. Well, yeah, and they've been experiencing a lot of success, and he's like it seems that he's a pretty good recruiter, and, yep. and his offensive lines have been really, really good. Uh, and even back when, like, the whole Gaddis thing went down, it seemed mm-hmm. that, like, there was pretty clearly, like, a preference for more um, as the uh, the eventual successor to Harbaugh. And it seems that they've been grooming him for that, whether even with the, with the Harbaugh suspension this year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, looking forward to 24, like, there's going to be a lot of turnover at the top of the league outside of Penn state. And I mean, well, maybe Kyle McCord steps up over the course of this year and becomes like elite mm-hmm. next year, but it seems like it's going to be a pretty wide open league um, in the first year of the expanded big Ten. I think that is where we will call this a night. It is uh well into pac 12 after dark time here on the <laughs> West coast, which means it's definitely is out there where you are, Ted. Uh, I definitely appreciate you coming on. This has been great. I'd love to talk to you again down the road again uh, as we get closer toward the end of this season and certainly as we get into uh, next season. Uh, tell, Tell our listeners where they can see you, where they can hear you, where they can follow you. Yep. So I'm on YouTube. It's a YouTube channel, a uh, big 10 Ted over there doing it during the season, doing previews and reactions to some of the bigger big 10 games. I go live once a week, bringing in guests from around the country, uh, from around the conference uh, talking about um, a lot of topics, you know, uh, this maybe some more macro big 10 topics and previewing for the games that I don't do during the week to preview. I always try to cover all of the games that I don't do in the live show as well. So I do usually do that once a week, midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday or something on Saturdays. I'm doing reactions to, to all the biggest Big Ten games like this Saturday. Uh, Maryland uh, and Ohio State is probably the biggest one out there. So I'll have a reaction uh, half an hour or so after that. I'll, I'll upload. So at Big Ten Ted on Twitter um, as well over there. You can find me um, as well. Thanks, uh, Doug, QB. I really appreciate you um, having me on. Uh, looking forward to talking to you guys. Hopefully as we get closer, maybe when we get a schedule drop, we, we can uh, we can hook up again and, and talk the, talk the upcoming schedule. Yeah, sounds great. QB, thanks again. We will talk to you soon. Listeners, we will be back. This is, uh, we'll be back Thursday morning with Hithliday and our kind of first half review of the uh, Oregon Ducks first five games of the season. And then obviously we'll be back again on Friday with our week six picks no Oregon game obviously to preview this week as we are on a bye 
And then we'll see you Sunday night for a normal recap and some listener questions. So a lot of content coming up. You know where to follow us at QB11 Show on Twitter, at QB11SD, at DouglasTS. Ted, thanks so much. Go Ducks. Go Big Ten. Appreciate it.